Welcome to the Speaks Exchange podcast with your host, Donald Taylor. As a renowned learning and development industry expert, as well as chairman of the Learning and Performance Institute, Donald sits down with experts from around the globe to talk business communication, learning technology, language, digital transformation, and engaging, upskilling, and reskilling your organization. This podcast is brought to you by Speaks, the first intelligent language learning platform for the digital workplace. Listen in and you might learn a thing or two. Another Speaks Exchange podcast. I'm Donald Taylor, your host. I have with me Stefan van Hoydung, the Chief Learning Officer of Cognizant. Stefan, great to have you here. Very quickly, can you introduce yourself? What's that's your role? A... What have you been doing? What's your, what are your passions? Well, boy, that's a big question. Thank you very much for, <laughs> for, for having me, Donald. I'm really enjoying uh, doing things like this and, uh, and I'm looking forward. It's going to be a very, very nice, uh, very nice chat. I'm uh, the, the, the Chief Learning Officer of Cognizance. So that means that I'm taking care of the, the knowledge well-being of about 300,000 colleagues, which was quite daunting when, it, when I started the job, but it's beautiful, uh, beautiful to see how much, how much passion there is and how much, uh, how much curiosity there is in, in all kinds of different demographics. It's just a question for all of us in LND, how do you unleash that? And what tricks and tips and tricks do you do you use on them to to really make that happen? And 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 I'm sure we're going to talk more about this. My passions, I have many passions really. I I, I meditate two two hours a day. I'm, I'm a fervent reader. I try to spend as much as time as possible with the family. It's not always feasible because I've been pre-COVID. I've, I was traveling three weeks a month. So um, and when I was in Belgium, I was an art rest, restorer, and I love I still love that, but I don't have a lot of time now. So uh, let's talk about learning, I guess. There's so many more questions I could ask about the, the travel, the meditation, everything else, the art restoration, but we have to stick on the learning track here. We'll do the other conversation over beer sometime. You've been in learning and development for a while, as yep. best people have been, including some senior roles. So what have you learned during that time? What are the key takeaways? I started, first of all, I started in investment consulting for a stint of about six years, and then I moved into learning and development. Uh, set up a hmm. business school in in, in China. Uh, very proud is one of the major business schools now in Asia, China Europe International Business School. And then I moved into the corporate side, was uh, setting up learning. Actually, I've always set up learning structures for Nokia. I've done that back in China, but also globally at Philips, at Agfa, at Flipkart, and now at Cognizant. And very early on, I was I was uh, I was quite kind of quite close to senior leadership. And I think senior leadership with regards to learning and development, they all get it. They all know why this is necessary. Uh, typically, all these leaders are very curious themselves and avid learners. Uh, an average kind of being really interested in the world and others and so on and so forth. Now, so though they get it, they often don't really see the value of the L&D group to really helping them towards supporting or helping the organization toward, to move towards a certain goal where skills are needed. Quite a number of research that has been done as of late, the last 10 years or so, also with, within Cognizant, we did some research. And you see a lot of CEOs that have these left lofty goals for the next five years and kind of five years from now we're going to conquer the world the world is really changing all around us we need to be ready for that change and therefore we were we're going in this right strategic direction now very often when the question is also asked in those surveys do you think that your L&D department or your people strategy or your skills in your organization mm -hmm. is really going to help the, uh, towards that goal and um, 
And very often the answer is no, or at least a few of the organizations, uh, the CEOs think that they have everything lined up uh, for, for this magic to happen. And maybe as reflecting on, on, on us in L&D, maybe we're looking more backwards than forwards. Maybe we're trying more the, the tricks of the past versus yeah. uh, preparing towards the tricks of the future. I've been doing quite a bit of work on, on curiosity, on meta-skilling, uh, getting deep into data, uh, making sure that our L&D folks are, are really in tune with not their own intuition of how learning should look like, but really on what does the science say? What does the cognitive science say? What is the difference between pedagogy and andragogy? And how do you have to redesign whatever you want to do towards, towards those goals? And how do you therefore create a credibility in your organization to drive this? Maybe back to the questions. I've never, I've never had a single, a single CEO ask me... They, they do ask about impact, but nobody's ever asked about return on investment. They yeah. get it that these dollars yeah. are needed for engagement yeah. purposes, for upskilling. What they're much more interested in is, is the return on expectation. Are yeah. you delivering the big goals and the expectations they have of the future? And that's a big, big challenge for all of us. I think. I think it's fair to say that those surveys generally return lists of top priorities of CEOs in which skills and talent is in the top three. For the past 10 years, we've seen people saying, yeah, this is important to our organization, but they don't associate that necessarily with the learning and development department. Very often, they know they have to recruit for skills, they have to get people learning more in the organization, but they don't necessarily think that it's the learning and development department's job to do it. Is that your experience? And if so, where are we failing to register in the minds of the people at the top of organizations? I think... 10, 15 years ago, absolutely not. But mm. I think nowadays they see that more and more, at least in the CEOs that I've been interfacing with. Also, I'm seeing that learning, and because of this skilling, in the past, skills could be bought really easily. Nowadays, if you want, especially skills at the cutting edge, in, in our case, I'm working in Cognizant, you know, IT, IT support, IoT, uh, machine learning, artificial intelligence, digital engineering, uh, and all these skills, there's just not enough people out there in the street to recruit. So you have to start skilling. And many companies have were quite complacent in saying, yes, we can find people on the street. But nowadays, we have to start skilling people internally and creating different ecosystems and creating different cultures. Because I think a lot of companies are, are paying lip service to skilling. Often, yeah. doing work is considered productive time. And doing skilling is, is or doing yeah doing skilling or learning is put in the same bucket as, as holidays. Therefore, not productive time. And that's yeah. um, I think a lot of managers are getting that now. And I'm also seeing that skilling therefore is becoming a board conversation. I think the challenge with all of us is, and especially also with our customers, is that we all went to school and we all have this romantic feeling of what good looks like. Now, very often, especially our leaders, they don't realize that learning when we went to school is a function of pedagogy and not of andragogy and that there's completely different forces at play when you're dealing with uh, with uh, with learning and development for adults now the challenge for a lot of lnd folks is exactly the same we have this idea and, and we have learned to trial and error we um, through opinions we have about learning through through some things we picked up on the way but the challenge by and large is that there's no degree requirements for getting into lnd anybody can come into ln in, into lnd and that's that's a beautiful thing because you can create diversity but it's also a challenge because there's no baseline of knowledge 
if you go to the legal department, uh, I used that example earlier, if you go to the legal department, the business leader is not going to say, give me a two-page contract in it with 14 chapters. Uh, they're just going to trust you uh, or these legal colleagues with whatever they need to do and do your magic and, tr uh, and we would, won't even interfere. In learning and development, that's not always the case. Very often, and also research shows that, is that very often the, not only the what, but also the how is decided by senior management because we're often interfering as learning and development folks with people senior to us. Um, and if we're not careful, they're going to just tell us what we need to do. And not having that theoretical backing or not having that credibility combined with good project management and all the rest of it is and, and organizational fluency is just, is just harming us. And that's why it's so important for all of us to really get in tune with cognitive psychology, with, uh, with latest theories, with, and, and move away from that intuition. And because the way I'm looking at the world is not the way you're looking at the world. And because I like, like to learn in a certain way, doesn't mean that you like to learn in such a way. Just, just let's, get, let's get rid of those feelings. You're right, of course, that there's this issue that everyone's been to school, therefore everyone imagines they know what learning looks like. And there's a sort of natural progression of idea that a behavioural issue can be fixed with learning. That may not be the case. That the learning has to take place via a course. That may not be the case. Hmm. And that the course has to take place simultaneously with other people, ideally in the classroom environment. That may not be the case. But that progression of ideas is something we've all experienced, regardless of gender, class, background, ethnicity. Just about everyone's gone through that process of learning at school. As you say, that's the andragogy side of it. But of course, adults are very different. I completely agree that cognitive sciences are essential for us to understand. But is that the basis for us being able to persuade other people in the organisation that we know what we're talking about? It's a start. Okay. If, if, if you know that stuff, you're so much more advanced than if, if you don't. For instance, spaced learning is much better for memory, for memory creation than block learn. Putting people in a room for, for, for four hours is always going to be worse, not as good as doing one hour a week. It might be a bit more logistically challenging to do one hour a week, but it's much better for your memory. And we have so many myths that we also impose on our kids. For instance, underlining and, and, and highlighting is one of the worst ways to, to learn something but we're still uh, holding our kids accountable to how colorful their, their textbooks is type of thing no so but if we as learning and development folks are not in tune with that latest theory or for instance whether you're an auditive or, or a kinesthetic type of a learner it's complete complete rubbish but we're still we're still going along with those things and and as learning and development folks we need to be in tune with that uh, it's not only cognitive psychology but it's also applied applied uh, applied psychology it's andragogics it's uh, uh, but it's also just sheer professionalism uh, we need to have organizational fluency we need to board, we need to speak the lay of the land in our organizations we need to be damn good at project management and and so on and so forth like you, you expect from any profession i totally agree about the project management side of things and i have to say that one of the things one of the key skills I think that we're missing in learning development myself is yes we need to be better at marketing yes we need to be better at data and analytics but project management is a huge yawning gap generally in learning development organizations that do that well are spectacularly better typically at L&D so look we we need these skills in order to be proper professionals that may give us a certain amount of confidence but when we go into a conversation with the CEO they're still or indeed the senior managers there's still the chance, isn't it, that they will treat learning development like a pizza order company. 
Yeah, I want it this size. I want yeah. the ham and not, not the pineapple. Um, so how do we avoid that? Uh, in the past, when we talked yeah. about this, you, you mentioned the, the, the idea that you had to speak their language. You've mentioned organizational fluency a couple of times. What does that mean? And how much does data have a part to play? In That's beautiful. I think the, 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 the learning knowledge gets you into the door. It's data, uh-huh. a data that gets the conversation going. And I think, but you see that also broader in HR and, and also many places in the organization, we're not celebrating data well. And if you, can, if you can establish that, for instance, what I'm telling my teams now is I don't want them to go to any meeting until they have the right data on the, on the, with them. So for instance, last year we've trained 5,000 people. What is, the bill, what is the billing rate changed since last year? Because we made this investment as an organization or what what is the efficiency in, in, in your team uh, improved versus last year and things like that? And let's have a discussion about that first before you're going to throw some other pizza requests in our in our direction type of a thing. No, and and it's amazing how this the conversation changes dramatically. Instead of a parent-child uh, conversation, you suddenly have an adult-adult conversation because mm. they also have to justify that they've done the right things with that stuff and they've enabled their growth in their organization. Also, I think at CLO level or at, at any level, I think we've established in, in the company that there's a direct correlation between attrition and skilling. Now, suddenly you have the chief financial person or the chief HR person or the CEO talking because you can calculate the amount, uh, the uh, how much it costs to recruit a person and how much a person is up to speed and all that jazz, you know? And if we're saying that the more people learn, the, the, the chances for them to stay back longer versus the people that don't learn is suddenly you get them talking. Now, this is data, which is where we used HR data and learning data together. I've also established, and that was more recently, the shadow of a manager and the importance of a shadow of a manager. If, a, if the manager learns a lot, and I'm not talking about learning just going to classes, it's also reading books and articles and all the things that we can measure on, on our tools. And we have lots of, uh, lots of different opportunities for people to learn so many methods. But once we see that the consumption of uh, items goes up with the manager, the, the team reacts in the same way. Inversely, if the manager does not learn anything, then also the team's uh, learning behavior is really low. And that's um, not for everybody because you always have A players in your team, people that naturally want to go places regardless of, of the shadow of the manager. But it's enormous how much, I never realized this. And actually in the past, I was a little bit skeptical about the management development as a as an overall um, theme. Not about management development, but the over-index on management development as if managers yeah. are, are radically yeah. different animals than, than yeah, the, rest, yeah. the rest of the population. Uh, but I'm, uh, I'm starting to think that uh, maybe over-indexing in a manager isn't that bad after all. So, so just to be clear what you're saying here, there is a people are consciously or unconsciously emulating the behavior of yeah. the manager they're with. The manager's learning, they will spend more time learning. Manager's not learning, they will typically with exceptions, spend less time learning. Uh, again, that's something which are, is news to me and does show that there's, it's probably worthwhile training managers possibly on anything just because you get the rest of the people multiplied, you get the effect multiplied across their team. So yeah, I agree with you. I too have been skeptical about the value of management training in the past, but I, I can see that there might, be, there might be value there. You're talking here very fluently and very confidently about correlations between learning data. That's the stuff that we're mm-hmm. in charge of in the learning and development department and data from outside, attrition rates and so on. How confident do you think most learning and development people are in your experience with making those correlations? Never mind getting hold of the data to do it, but 
just being able to make the correlations and talk about them confidently. Do you think we're in a good place there? I think we're in in as good a place as we can ever be. It's all a function of creativity and, and just dig. It's a little bit like treasure hunting, no? You just start digging and you hope you find something. And you have some hypotheses that that learning is valuable in the organization. And value can mean a number of things. And can mean that people stay longer or people are better engaged or, you know, you could come up with many things. And it's so... I think if in most companies you have some smart kids and all companies you have really smart smart kids and adults and, and people and can, who can do some some data analysis and if they're not in your L&D group I'm sure there's people in either your IT group or your, your some other business group who are really good at this stuff um, I'm quite lucky in every organization that I had I always set up a, an, an analytics team uh, and also a marketing team I think and these two teams are really important to, uh, yep. to, to drive things forward. So I'm a little bit lucky now, but it doesn't have to be your own team. It's just how much are you, are you curious really about proving your value? It's not proving your value because your CEO wants to see that value. It's the value that you want to prove to yourself first and foremost. And if that's the case, anybody else will follow because you're going to stumble up on, on, onto really magical data. And it's not about bums in seats type of a thing, um, no. but it's, um, it's something bigger. And, and now with COVID, I, I challenge every L&D leader and team to think deeply about what can we do to prove, to analyze, to, to move the organization in a new direction. For me, learning is much more or much closer to transformation and change than anything else. So how can we as learning and development folks support that change and transformation? And what data do we need to prove the organization that they should take us seriously to move in that direction versus just tactically do some do some onboarding and do some management development and do some of the, the, the normal tactical stuff, you know? And I'm not saying that this tactical stuff is wrong. You always have to do that. And you have yeah. to do it damn well. But there's, there's, there's a sea of opportunities out there if you just put your gaze towards it. We do have to do this tactical stuff. There's always going to be the onboarding. There's going to be the mandatory training. There's going to be stuff that we just need to do to keep the organization operating. But you're saying that's not enough. And when we've talked, Stefan, you've often used this word transformational to suggest the idea that the learning and development department has a a crucial strategic role in Mm -hmm. what the organization is trying to achieve. Can you just describe that a bit bit more? Because we've talked about quite tactically, if you like, having a conversation with the manager. How do you establish your credibility? What sort of things do we need to know? But now we're stepping back a bit and we're looking at the role of the department as a whole across the organization, what's it trying to achieve? And how can it make sure that it is is able to achieve? Oh, it's a beautiful question. For me, that boils down to, are you focused on efficiency or are you focused on an effectiveness? Mm. And for me, efficiency is a function of, uh, the metaphor would be for me a supermarket where everybody is well-structured and you have, you have rows yeah. and you have sections and you have people responsible for the sections and you just check in with your proverbial cart and you put whatever in your cart and you check out without your, without your manager knowing. And typically an LMS is managing that structure. And then you get on with things. So, but what we're interested in in a supermarket is only in what happens within the supermarket when people are actually in the system and, and buying that stuff. And also the people that are working in a supermarket are typically just responsible for their counter, but they're limited because they haven't designed the products or they're not really deep into to that stuff. So that's one way of looking at learning and development. That's the engine. 
or the, 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 the non-transformational part, I'd probably say. And on the other side, you can, you can have the metaphor of a, of a boutique shop, maybe a tailor, where yeah. when you go for a, for, for a suit or for a gala dress or so, that this person needs to know everything there is about uh, your, your body, about measurements, about how it would look like, and, and needs to know. So, so, and suddenly, in a boutique shop, the course might not be the solution. Anything goes to solve a solution. I've experienced with, for instance, sales groups that, the, that, that people say, okay, our sales guys and girls don't know enough about our products. Um, let's throw some more training at the products, <laughs> at, at those, uh, those sales guys. And actually we found that they don't have the right portal to find out all there is to know about. Uh, so just maybe creating a portal does the trick. Or in one of my previous companies, uh, our, we, we said, oh, our managers are not cascading strategy. Let's do some training with them. And then we said, hold on, putting our boutique shop hat on. And he said, hold on, what, what is the issue? And we did a questionnaire, a monthly questionnaire with five questions to all the people in the organizations. How many, how do I have a one-on-one -on -one meeting with my manager? Do I have a team meeting once a week with the, with the team? Does my manager commend me for something uh, I, I do well and some other questions? And we found out that actually 30% of our managers never had a one-on-one -on -one meeting with their team or never had a team meeting. So just by focusing on those points, the problem went away automatically because what, when, when we started measuring those things and suddenly things, uh, things happened and we didn't need to train things. So that's, that's very much a, a boutique shop approach where you're focusing much more on, on the basic problems. Focusing on the problems and focusing on performance. I think it's Boxall and Purcell have this uh, formula that performance is a function of ammo. A is ability, knowledge and skills. But the M and the O are motivation and opportunity. And if, as you were saying in that example, people can't get to what they need to get through through, through the portal, then the opportunity is effectively reduced to zero, no matter how much their ability and motivation is. And of course, we know that motivation is crucial for people. You can be typically, I don't know, let's say 60 to 70% skilled for your job. But if your motivation is zero, you're just not going to get out of bed in the morning. So it doesn't matter how well skilled you are. So if we have that remit to talk to people openly about motivation and about opportunity, as well as the knowledge and skills part of it, then we truly are a performance engine for the organization rather than the training department which does the stuff that people imagine is learning whereas in fact of course the performance side is, is much more absolutely actually charles jennings came up with a very good phrase around this he said something like the conspiracy of convenience yeah, uh, yeah. because when they, they they come to learning they they can offload <laughs> it and whether something changes or not doesn't matter we everyone the feels box. they've done their thing every yeah they, they tick the box yeah i asked for the training they deliver the training the person went on the training we've done it and there's this conspiracy nobody's actually looking at what got done the answer unfortunately too often is nothing got done stefan before we wrap up I, there's one phrase you've used in previous conversations we've had of learning generosity i think that's a really interesting idea now we've sort of come up to this bigger picture view of what our role is what for you is learning generosity and why is it important it's probably unconsciously i came up with this term <laughs> well, uh, i thought it was a great idea you were talking but, about people being curious and sharing their experience yeah yeah, yeah no, no no you're right you're right i'm a, i'm a great believer that learning is not only about consumption but also about contribution right. um and um i'm the proud owner now of three hundred thousand trainers because everybody has something great to share with at least one other person and right. very likely more than one other person so I've put it on, or my, my team and I, we've looked at this as a challenge. What do we need to do now 
to magnify the voices of every single person within the organization because there's so much knowledge. And nowadays with people on LinkedIn, on Facebook, people are they're, they're much more used to sharing than, than ever before. So let them share something useful. I think also uh, generosity for me also links very closely to the notion of curiosity. And that's a beautiful gift that we as learning and development folks can give to the organization in not only training people's primary skills or secondary skills, but really focusing on people's meta skills. At the end of the day, an organization is everybody's naturally curious. They don't need L&D and we can do something, something fun otherwise, you know? Um, so if we're, if we're able to point people's attention towards a notion of curiosity, towards growth mindset, towards having the right learning strategies, learn to learn uh, type of things, then I think that that, that generosity will even be uh, enhanced much more. We've done some beautiful work at Cognizant in this, in this space, and we actually see people changing. The moment people have language, the moment have people words. If you've never heard growth and mindset in the same in the same double word, then you're not able to reflect on it. But the moment people have that language, they reflect on it, and at least 50% of them, they tell us three months later that something has actually changed for them. They become more interested. Also in terms of their learning hours, and I'm not a great believer in learn, measuring learning hours, but we're seeing almost learning hours doubling 12 months before and after that people have taken those, uh, those, those really short sessions, uh, those eye-opener sessions, I call them. Uh, I call them curiosity reengineering. I think it's a great, a great part also to, cure, to, to this learning generosity in, in sharing. And, yeah. and once you've sparked people's interest in how they learn, how they can learn, how that can affect their personal growth, their productivity, once you've sparked that, then this idea of unleashing your 300,000 trainers becomes so much stronger because they are, from their own will, without having to be told, going out and actually sharing and being multipliers of knowledge in their organization, taking good stuff and, and spreading it across the organization. Yep. Let's wrap up with our final questions, which we always uh, wrap up for every guest. Firstly, what do you wish you'd known when you'd started in learning and development? And what are you curious about right now? And I'm going to guess you might say you're curious about curiosity, but you'll have to tell us more about that. So what, what do you wish you'd done when you started and what are you curious about? Now I would have needed so much more knowledge in, in cognitive psychology, in the, the, the basic stuff, the baselining of, of knowledge, how great leaders, how great people have been thinking about learning so far. You're talking about Knut Elias, you know, Jack Mirizov, all the people that I only found out probably in the last couple of years. The really big thinkers, John Dewey, beautiful, uh, beautiful thinker in the area of learning. I would have wa wanted to learn so much more about those those great things because I, I also winged it for a long time. Uh, still, in, still am, I think. But I'm trying to be aware of it and read up a lot about it. So that's probably what I'm. What I would have loved to. Um, what I'm really. Um, I'm. A, I, I. I. love learning. I love reading. I'm getting ready to start a, a bachelor in 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 philosophy. Maybe I came to an age. I'm still young. I think I'm 52 now. But I yeah, always, you're young. Don't worry. I want to keep on learning. I. Uh, I'm a great reader, and I want to get deeper into stuff. And I'm also very interested in curiosity. Just the concept of it and how, yeah. to, how to do this more because if we and that's maybe also linking that to transformation if that's one of the transformations that we can do to organizations it's such a beautiful gift if we are not only doing the, 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 the tactical stuff but we can also point people in this curiosity uh, dimension uh, so that everybody come, becomes an A player because there's too many people in organizations that are B players 
people that want to learn, but they, they miss something. They need some electricity for them in order to, to become A players and to start reading books and asking the right questions. It makes total sense. I'm a firm believer, actually, like you, Stefan, that we do need an agreed body of knowledge, and it's something which I hope to be working on at some point in the future, an agreed body of knowledge for people coming into the industry and indeed people in the industry to to get their heads around with some of those writers and thinkers that you mentioned absolutely being part of it, because I think Dewey, absolutely, we, we should be reading, it should be part of the fundamental background knowledge that we have. But look, we can have another conversation at some point in the future about the what our core body of knowledge should be for our field. But you are still young, Stefan. I mean, a mere 52. Uh, you've got so many years ahead of you. We'll have time for that conversation again in the future. So, Stefan van Hooydonk, CLO of Congress, and thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Donald. It was a pleasure.